Welcome to 500 Words Lessons on Writing. This is Katrina Lee. This podcast explores the triumphs and tragedies of 10 years as a published author. Final 10th anniversary post and podcast. Leo and Larry, my pet lions, and I are breathing a collective sigh of relief. Despite the great times we've had, I have had fun with this. Congrats to Jean of Pennsylvania for winning the final trivia. Congrats to Mary of Arizona for winning the Captain Garrison $100 cash prize with her last-minute entry. I said that the uh, drawing will close at 6 a.m. Saturday morning, and uh, Eastern Time, apparently, her entry came in at 3 a.m., and when I did the drawing, her number was chosen. So there you go. Never think it's too late. And uh, now, what have I learned most recently? So this is post 10 of 10, talking about research and especially talking about the book Thomas E. Kirkman, Artist, Spy, and Amish Man. That's a potential title, working title. I'm going to see if I can talk quickly here before Marnell starts mowing the lawn and blasts out my audio here. Um, But I'll talk a little bit about a couple things I learned about research and then we're going to go to a brief, I got. I did get Marnell to talk with me after breakfast this morning for a little bit. We sound a little um, half asleep on it, I think. So maybe it was the effect of the French toast. But So there's a little kind of five-minute um, episode where we talk about that. And then I will actually read you a couple of the documents that, that I found on our research trip to Abilene, Kansas. They're not long, but I'll just read you a couple clips so that you can kind of understand why they were such a big deal to me. I will wrap up with a few more things, and then I'm going to actually end. This will be a little different, but I'm actually going to end with my interview with Brad Kirkman, Tom Kirkman's son. It's not technically an interview. I just had a question about the manuscript, and I gave him a call the other night, and I want you to just sort of hear how that works, calling someone on the telephone. And I could include that at the telephone part, but I think um, the interview with him is kind of a really neat thing to end with, especially here on a Saturday evening. And so I'll just end with that, and that will be the end of the final 10th podcast. So I had three main aha moments while writing the Kirkman book, as far as research goes. This book is being edited currently and scheduled to release either this fall or winter 2021. Here are three great research tools I used. First of all, other authors. I think this might be the first time I did this particular thing. In the course of my research, I listened to Jim Raisenberger's book, Brilliant Disaster, about the Bay of Pigs fiasco in 1961. I decided I'd email him. And I didn't know if he would get back with me or not, but there wasn't much to lose. So I did email him asking if he had any ideas of how I could further research Tom Kirkman's role with the CIA, since the CIA was not getting back with me. And he did get back with me. This was while we were on our research trip to Kansas, actually. And, And just a little clip from what he said. Katrina, thank you very much for your kind words about my book. Kirkman sounds really interesting. Alas, I can't think of anyone alive who might know of him. So many have died in the years since I finished my book. Although he couldn't help much, it was so good to hear from someone who understood the pangs of research and just to know that many people have died provides good information. At least there won't be many people to argue that I said it wrong. That is the one thing. By the way, on May 26, Raisenberger's next book is coming out, Revolver, Sam Colt and the Six Shooter That Changed America. I think it's going to be an exceptional book. 
especially for people who love that kind of history. And so you can go to his website. It's on my blog post. Okay, so first thing, reaching out to other authors. Sometimes those people are the ones who know so much about the topic that you are dealing with. And then second, the telephone. I was considering a trip to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which is where Eisenhower had lived on a, on a farmhouse. It's now a national site. And I wanted to confirm some notes about Eisenhower's painting studio. And finally, one day I just decided to call the Gettysburg home. I left a message and a day or two later, someone called me back and she answered my question perfectly. So I don't know that traveling out to see that house for however many hundreds of dollars and hours it would have cost me would have been much more helpful um, because it wasn't a huge association with Tom. Just the other day also, I mentioned this, I called Brad, Tom's son, with a question, and I'll end with that conversation. You get to hear that. But there are cases where telephones and emails fail. And let me tell you the dilemma I started to run into with Kirkman. So Tom Kirkman's story is far-fetched. I didn't have any reason to doubt him or his son, Brad, but I felt that I needed more proof to base the entire book on these stories. Now, Tom Kirkman is no longer living, so of course I was dealing with his son, who I trusted, but how do you write a book about President Eisenhower, someone who interacted with him, if if there's any question, I guess. And the, for example, Tom told Brad, his son, that he prepared sketches for President Eisenhower's paintings. So it's well documented that President Eisenhower loved to relax by painting. He even had a painting room in the White House. We know that. You can look that up. But did he really get other people to sketch for him? Now, getting other people to sketch for your own painting is not a bad thing for artists to do. Artists do this. But did President Eisenhower do that? Um, Tom Kirkman said he sketched for him, but I thought it would be so good for me to find evidence that President Eisenhower did ask his staff to do this for him. So I emailed an expert from the Eisenhower Museum in Kansas. And by the way, if you're wondering why is that thing in Kansas, the museum, it's because that's where President Eisenhower grew up. He grew up in Abilene, Kansas, and his uh, some parentage up the line was actually River Brother, and that might be interesting to some of you, or Mennonite or something. But at any rate, they he, he was raised in Abilene. At one point, he said, the proudest thing I can say for myself is that I've come from Abilene. <laughs> I think that's on, the, on a sign somewhere in Abilene. But anyway, I emailed this expert and asked him this question. Did President Eisenhower ever get someone to help him with the sketches? And he sent a wonderful, kind email. But he told me that he has never heard of anyone sketching for Eisenhower and that he has reasons to believe this to be unlikely. And here's a quote from him. I have never heard that anyone ever helped Ike with his paintings beyond advice from Winston Churchill and Thomas Stephens. Not that this couldn't have happened, mind you, but painting for Ike was a very personal and private thing. I was just sick at heart when I got that email. I, I still had faith in Tom's story, but it was tough. It's like if only I could find some small hint that the president might have asked other people to help him. Uh, I just hated to write a book without having outside support for some of the main facts. So check with other authors, use the telephone or email. Third, when all else fails, hit the road. And to discuss this time, I called my husband. No, uh, we just finished our French toast and I asked him if we could talk about it a little bit. And uh, so we did that. And I just have to say, it's 
been so nice for me to go on trips with him. So I thought I'd be a little funny and just ask him at the beginning whether he actually likes going or just does it to be nice. So let's go there right now. So do you like to go on research trips with me or do you just do it to be nice? Yes. Do you? <laughs> oh. Okay, this is how our conversations always go. Yeah. By the way. Just going to say, we just finished our French toast, and I'm drinking some Captain Garrison coffee, and we're having a little after-breakfast chat. Yeah, and you asked me how if I enjoy going on the research trips with you. Yes, I enjoy that. I love trips. I love hang- seeing new, new things, learning new things, and I'm fortunate enough to have a job that I can work at least fair amount remotely. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, nice. during this COVID thing, I haven't been able to utilize that um, much because I've had to do a lot of hands-on stuff too. But So yes, I enjoy being able to go. We usually find a nice Airbnb that has decent internet and mm-hmm. so I can remote back into work and I can hang out there while she does the research things and then we have the evenings to do fun things or other things besides. And that actually worked pretty well when we went to Kansas because we just stayed in one place. Right. So you could set up your screens. and. Right. When we were doing the... You were working at the Eisenhower Museum. Mm-hmm. Which was just down. So we found an Airbnb that was... Like a mile, right? A half a mile or a mile, a mile from the Eisenhower Museum. And in fact, I walked one day. I think I just walked one time, but it wasn't too far. So that worked out good. And actually, our Airbnb was on top of a little crepe shop. Mm. So we went down there and ate breakfast a few times. Yeah, and this particular one was, we, we happened to be one of the first guests. We had just opened up, I think it was in October, and we were there in right. December, January, yeah, we traveled out there New Year's Eve, right? Mm-hmm. I think, or... Or New Year's Day. Day. I can't remember anyway. But, yeah, it was really... He did a really neat thing with a with an old building. Well, and then his son experience. owned the crepe shop. I forget what right. it was called. I follow him on Facebook now, but... Um, son, his son, son owned that and had also just started not too long before, right? I think. Right. Was yeah. it Sunrise Cafe? Because it had the symbol... Some symbol in the... Um, anyway. Yeah. Oh, it was Ortis Cafe, Ortis. which is Latin for sunrise, I there think, you go. I knew, or something like that. I knew that. it wasn't sunrise, but it meant something like that. Yeah, after yeah. we were there at the museum, and you were still there, right? Yeah, I was still there. What were you doing? Helping me get settled or getting yeah. my computer up or something? Yeah, getting was your, I was working on your computer. Um, I actually was, that first morning, I had started doing some stuff remotely right there, just so I'd be... Close by, but then after, I don't know. Oh, you remoted into work there. Well, that was the plans, or at least to make sure you were going. And we had trouble connecting your computer to the network. And um, anyway, I fussed around with that for a while until it finally got it working. Yeah. And so the way it worked was they would bring me boxes of archives information and half an hour or so into it I found a letter from some other person not Tom Kirkman but um or about another soldier who had worked in the White House claiming that he had done the sketches for President Eisenhower's paintings 
and he had apparently gone to the newspaper. I, I didn't even look this up just today, but he had gone to the newspaper saying this was true. The newspapers had called Robert Schultz, President Eisenhower's assistant and general Robert Schultz, possibly a colonel at that time, and they said, or he just shut them down, basically, is how, how I remember it. Right. It was very vague. Um, but he did not he said, deny oh, that it he, had happened. He didn't deny it, because he just said that is not part of his... Um, That's right. His... Job description. Job, job description. Right. So he didn't deny it, he just answered in a roundabout way. Right, right. Which was just about right there, almost all the proof that I needed to know that it did happen, because there was someone claiming that it did... And somebody else, yeah. Somebody else, and President Eisenhower's assistant did not um, did not say that it didn't. But then later, I forget if it was the next day or or not. But I actually found a handwritten copy of a handwritten note from President Eisenhower asking Robert Schultz to get a sergeant to prepare a sketch for him on a certain canvas. And so, against the odds, against the the expert at the museum's opinion, I felt like I walked away with proof that Tom Kirkman's story was entirely plausible and and uh, very believable. So like I said, I think we sounded a little sleepy on that one, but thank you, dear, for helping me out with this. I mentioned the two things I found, but let me just quickly give you a little specific. So Robert L. Schultz was President Eisenhower's assistant. And I found this note. I have it on my blog. You can go look at it. This is just the, the typed up account where a newspaper man by the name of Mr. Kurtz comes to Robert Schultz and says, this man named Ray Side or Seed, not sure, says that he prepared sketches for President Eisenhower. Is this true? Robert Schultz told him there was nothing in the record to indicate that Mr. Side did that kind of work. When Mr. Kurtz, the newspaper man, persisted in seeking a comment, Robert Schultz stated that he had not read the article under discussion. Um, Mr. Kurtz then stated that he had earlier referred to Side's duties as including purchasing Western books and also preparing charcoal sketches in preparation for Eisenhower's painting, Robert L. Schultz repeated that the record did not indicate that the man's duties included such work. Mr. Kurtz then inquired what rank the man had, and RLS, Robert Schultz, replied that he could not recall this. Mr. Kurtz then stated that he would like to call Eisenhower on this, and Robert Schultz strongly recommended that he not bother the general on something of this nature. So I, you can just hear him not saying anything. <laughs> And I feel confident that if Ray Side would have been making this up, just totally making up a story that he sketched, prepared sketches for Eisenhower, Robert Schultz would have just said, that is absolutely not true. I, I, I don't see why he wouldn't have done that. And then later there's a note to Robert Schultz from someone else saying, evidently a dead duck, uh, this Ray Side case, but you may wish to keep... Keep in the event that Side decides to write a sequel or maybe a book. He's so blank, blank, full of talent and secrets. They're kind of making fun of him, but again, don't say that he um, that it wasn't true. And a dead duck means someone with no chance of success. And the other gem was the handwritten note from 
Eisenhower. And I really, you should just go to um, the blog, com and take a look at this one because his handwriting is so awful, it's fun just to look at it. But he says, here's a picture I'd like to have sketched carefully when you can get the sergeant to do it. And then he goes on to say what size of canvas to use. I could have turned cartwheels across the archive room had I known how to do them. I, I tell you, do you have any idea how thrilled I was to find this handwritten note from President Eisenhower? I could have just screamed. And another reason, I just felt like it totally proved Tom Kirkman's reliability. Um, but... And by the way, you can access these documents. You could go to the Abilene, Kansas library and find them. Uh, and I even went to eBay or somewhere and I ordered the 1962 copy of the magazine where Rayside came out and told his story. And just FYI, there's a little advertisement in there to give you an understanding of 1962, the economy and entertainment industry. Advertisement for any six regular high fidelity or stereo records for only $1.89 from Columbia Record Club in Terre Haute, Indiana. There you go. Um, but, and a lot of other interesting things in that magazine. It smells like an old person's house. But, um, it was there, and he talks about what he did. He received plain brown envelopes with a photo or a magazine illustration that the president wanted to paint, and then he would crop them, put them on the projector, which is exactly what Tom Kirkman told his son Brad. Um, it was just, it's just so perfect. It is just gold for me to find this, because I have no doubt, no trouble believing Tom Kirkman now that I see this, and in fact, it makes all his other stories believable to me, too, because I did not have any proof of this i believe tom he was right so um even though these don't it none of these records indicate or have record of tom doing this but if eisenhower was in the practice of having his staff do this it, it's just totally believable now um <laughs> oh I was corresponding with Jim Raisenberger, the other author, while I was out in Abilene, while we were out there. And so I just emailed him and I just to share this triumph of finding these documents. And he said, I've had a few of those moments in archives myself, and it's all I can do to suppress a Yelp. And so it was just so nice to have someone that totally understood how that felt. So other authors, the telephone, take a road trip, fourth, contact the CIA records department, no, no, and no. It did not work. They were not helpful. After five months, when I finally tried to track down my request, they came back and said, we don't have anything that is undocumented or um, unclassified. I'm sorry. And of course, I knew that its work was likely classified. And so I, I sent an appeal. Haven't heard a thing. By now, they're probably shut down because of COVID-19. So I just wrote my own chapters about Tom's time in the CIA I did my best, but that's one more reason that this project will be considered a work of fiction. Although it is based on the life of a real man, Tom Kirkman did not talk about his time in the CIA hardly at all. So that's what I had to work with. But I am super pumped to see the project come to life. I hope it inspires people. Um, I know that is what Brad's heart for it is. Tom's son Brad did not want to see his dad's story go into a book because he didn't feel his dad would want that. And then finally, some friends of his who also knew Tom said, what if one person could come to the Lord through this story? Wouldn't it be worth it? And that's that's where Brad gave his consent to have this done. I'm going to 
take you to my conversation with Brad here in one second. I just wanted to say if you missed some of the 10th anniversary posts or podcasts, um, they are available here at KatrinaHooverly.com or for the podcasts themselves, I would just go to anchor.fm. I have a link on my page, but you can also find them through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast. You're probably listening on one of those resources. And um, although the 10% off sale ends today, I will wait to draw the name for the second $100 cash prize until May 29th. Just to be clear about that, I had said that I would pick one person who has any customer of my online shop. Um, I'll pick pick one of those people, a random name, for a $100 cash prize. That has not happened yet, and it won't happen until May 29th. So that way all purchases from May, March through almost through the end of May will have a fair chance of winning the prize. Have a relaxing Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for listening to another lesson on writing. And here is my conversation with Brad Kirkman. Yeah, um, the editors are still still working with the manuscript um, and different processes there. So I don't, I'm not certain if it's scheduled for this fall yet or not, but they're mm-hmm. they're still working on that. But the one thing that I, um, well, one thing that they asked about actually, and then I realized I wasn't quite clear, and I I wondered what your perspective would be. So your dad uh, came back from Washington, and then ten years after. After, you know, his mom passed away, he heard God speak to him in the car. Mm-hmm. And then it was a few years later yet before he met the Amish man. Right. So yeah. uh, where, I guess, where would you say he actually gave his heart to the Lord? I, I wasn't, I was just trying to make sure I presented that correctly. I, I, I'm going to. I'm going to say he gave it his heart to the Lord that night in the car. But then oh, he was okay. he was like a fish out of water trying to find where to be to, to uh, maybe we'd use the word worship. He couldn't find a place that, that he, to worship, you know, or to serve. I'm not sure exactly what wording okay. you know better than me. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. You, he was awakened in that car. That he was night. awakened. And then uh-huh. you would, I think you would have mentioned at one point that that you kind of felt like the Amish man almost took it, him it, it, through the, the plan of he salvation. He did. He did. That's right. Yeah. He did. So, so yeah, I, I like that word awakened. Uh-huh. You think maybe his awareness of God or just his relationship with God was sort of restored that day in the car, but yeah. maybe actually accepting Jesus as his personal savior might have been more what happened with the Amish man or is that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that that's the way he always would have interpreted it to me. That okay. That, that was, Katrina, I'm thinking out loud, as you know, yeah. I'm so good at that. But maybe <laughs> Go for his, it. Me too. Yeah, his, his time with the Amish guy was, uh, could we use the word confirmation to what he what he found in the car after he, after he was awakened? Okay. You know, it, uh-huh. Because he yeah, did have the background. He yeah, had the, the yeah. mental understanding of what it meant to oh, be yeah. a Christian, right? Absolutely. He had he came from a very godly home. Yes. The I think the, the, the question of the reviewer or the one person was asking if I had done a good job in portraying okay, like if let's say a teenager or someone is reading this book, they wanted to make sure that it was clear, I guess what the process could look like of coming to Christ yeah. or just that it's not foggy or hard to understand. I, and I wanted to yeah. think how I should handle those two different. Um, I think, 
I think that's. I think you're on it. I think you got it. And in in respect to them, how would you edit Tommy's life? You know, I mean that that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's that, that is so peculiar. You can't make that normal. It's just impossible. <laughs> that's yeah. true. And honestly, I feel like for a lot of people, maybe the path to Christ or to salvation isn't completely simple. You know, I think oftentimes people go through, I know in my own experience and even other people's stories, it can be more of a journey than just a one-time event. Um, That's, that's it. That's the story of my life is it's, it is, and it's still ongoing, mm -hmm. you know, it's that, um, that, that growing in grace is, um, that, wow, you know, I still don't have my head around that, and I'm supposed to be able to preach it, and I, you know, hmm. it's 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 a uh, that growing that journey that that that. Uh, hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a we talk about the oh, like an Easter time, the triumphant entry. Mm-hmm. But 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 you know, that's what Tommy had. There was there was it was it was triumphal. He he left. He grew up in a Christian home. He turned his back on God. Mm-hmm. With with almost a hate. Mm-hmm. But then, but then there was a, but then it was triumphant. Because, Once he came back, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was, then it was, you know, yeah, uh, hmm. no whole, no nothing to hold him back. Then right. it was, yeah. But it wasn't just a one and done deal. I mean, that right. that growth and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll bet you'll get it to verbiage. I bet you will. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, holding up a bestseller. Now let's get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> 